Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Pragmatic Investor. My guest today is Mike Fay, fellow essay contributor and the author of The Heretic Speculator on Substack. When it comes to cryptocurrencies, Mike is one of my favorite experts to follow. He's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to all the altcoins and what's going on in the markets. So, given that out season is upon us, I think this would be a great time to get Mike's thoughts on Bitcoin and a lot of various altcoins. We started today by getting straight into the altcoins and covering specific names that we like and maybe others that we don't like so much. We then talked about the general market, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the regulatory environment, and I also got Mike to talk a little bit about the general market and how he sees this playing out in terms of the coming crypto bull market. To wrap up, we also got the chance to talk a little bit about politics, as I'm currently here in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We talked a little bit about the situation here. It was great catching up with Mike. Always a pleasure, I believe. This is the fourth time he's been on the podcast, and definitely a great person to follow if you're interested in cryptocurrencies. So go ahead, do yourself a favor, and go follow Mike. The link will be on the description. And if you haven't already, you can also follow The Pragmatic Investor on Substack, YouTube, or Spotify. As always, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All right, welcome back to the show, Mike Faye. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me again. It's always fun. Yeah, thanks for making time in this uh, you know, busy time of holidays. Obviously, we have Christmas approaching, holiday season, but already in full swing, outcoin season, which you know, has a... Uh, has crept up on us. Um, what are your thoughts there? I mean, altcoins, you know, looking back a month ago, two months ago, obviously, sentiment was completely in the gutter and, you know, everything's shifted. Uh, what are, yes. What's your take? It's been interesting. Um, I think that, you know, in the past, you've seen in previous cycles, we've seen kind of like all of the altcoins sort of like rallying at the same time. And maybe you'll have one that's running and then it tops and then people, you know, take that profit and throw it into something else and mm -hmm. i think that this time i i do think will be a little bit different that's just a suspicion of mine uh more so than anything that i'm seeing in data specifically but i think that we're going to see more of a flight to what could be perceived as quality altcoins um because mm -hmm. I, I don't even know what the outstanding number is now i think the last time i looked it was like twenty-two thousand uh cryptocurrencies and, you know, I think we all kind of agree that that's ridiculous and 99% of those will fail and you, that will leave you with, I hope, you know, somewhere between 15 to 100 that will be useful. And we're seeing things like Chainlink uh, outperforming. We're seeing things like ThorChain outperforming. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple others, Avalanche, Solana, some of the smart contract chains that compete with Ethereum from a fees standpoint, uh, you know, at the user level have done pretty well. The native currencies of those have done well. I think what we got to pay attention to is stablecoin market. You know, we've had a, an interesting kind of decline from the peak of the stablecoin market uh, down to, I think, like 120 billion or so combined market cap while stablecoins. And that's finally looking like it has maybe found a bottom uh, as we've seen some of them currency come back into that market and that's good for DeFi, which would be good for ethereum and all the smart contract coins um so that's i think something that i'm paying attention to and that i would tell listeners to pay attention to also 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting seeing how how things play out as we approach that next uh, halving cycle in Bitcoin, which is obviously a big potential catalyst. And you have mentioned, yeah, obviously people are going to be looking at different uh, coins, looking for quality. Uh, you know, arguable some of the coins you mentioned where the quality now. This is one that we've debate, debated for a long time. You know, I've kind of flip-flopped between a long and short, but Solana is one that, of course, has yeah. more in comeback. You know, it was definitely, um, you know, at one point perceived as a big risk, especially with the fact that, you know, FTX had such a big holding. It seems that, you know, following the trial, I think, and uh, the release of those coins, you know, that kind of a, that dark cloud is no longer over Solana. Um, you know, issue with Solana, I mean, I've written about it a few times. Obviously, very good. In terms of uh, scalability, it is quite mm-hmm. centralized, right? In terms of the ownership, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on Solana? It's it's one of the real uh, head scratchers for me because of the, what you just mentioned. Um, you know, from a usability standpoint, you know, I've used it; it's phenomenal when it's running <laughs> and not shut down or whatever, or having network issues. But it does go through those phases where. You know, because of the centralization of it, where you have a few people who can just be like, okay, we're, we're pausing things for now. Uh, it's a little too close to traditional banking, I think. You know, I would not put a lot in Solana, uh, personally. I mm-hmm. I have lightened up as it has risen. Um, I think my last Seeking Alpha article about Solana, I want to say it was like somewhere, it was under 20, I think, per coin. I think it was like 17 or 18 per coin. Um and I started lightening up in the high 30s, low 40s. So early as usual, I always sell my runners a little early. Uh, but you know, I'd rather scale out on the way up than you know panic <laughs> after it's peaked and and start selling low. Um, but as you know, fundamentally from Solana, it's it's a it's a tough one um, because you have so many. Uh, you know, L2s built on Ethereum that offer what Solana offers, but that are in the Ethereum ecosystem, which Solana is not. So Solana doing a go it alone type of strategy um, will be difficult. And, you know, some of the other, you know, ETH-based chains that I've focused on in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, back in the blockchain reaction days, one was Celo. Um, and Celo just announced recently that they're going to go from being a standalone thing to an ETH L2. So mm-hmm. you look at those types of things and you, you kind of see, okay, like ETH, is that probably the winner in smart contracts? It looks that way. So that makes Solana maybe riskier. You got a lot of people who are pumping Solana now too. Like people right. who have been, you know, VCs in crypto, people who you know, have been on Real Vision. Um, when you see a lot of these guys kind of agreeing at the same time, that's when I think you want to be a little bit cautious. And that's not to say that they don't do good work. It's just when you see consensus starting to, you know, brew, um, just think about it from the other perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting one, I think, in terms of um, use. Of course, Solana does have a lot of, let's say, backing from, you know, perhaps people who are more interested in, uh, you know, getting it out of them more than maybe more decentralized protocol, right? Which maybe, you know, isn't going to have, to that extent, the centralization kind of makes it more appealing in some ways, but of course, you know, fundamentally less appealing, right? Um, yeah, totally. Like, I think that when you see these types of runs that we've seen in some of these coins, mm-hmm. 
that's when you think, okay, the trade worked great, but now we've got to get back to fundamentals and see if this is justified much longer. And when you have some of the things that I just mentioned that are up 500% or whatever, you know, which ones make sense to fade and which ones make sense to let them still ride. And I think if you're looking at something like DoorChain compared to something like Solana, I'm sticking with Rune over Soul. That's just me personally, because I see the cross-chain utility being a much better fundamental uh, thesis than something that's competing completely out of the ecosystem that's already seeming to be winning. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And now I'm curious because, you know, when I look at uh, something like cryptocurrency as well, when I look at anything, you know, I do like to do a bit of a charting work to maybe try and identify good levels to sell. Uh, when you look at something like Solana or other cryptocurrencies, and you say you've been, for example, taking some profit now, what exactly are you looking at in terms of, you know, taking profits in an outcoin? So I like to look at... I don't know Elliott Wave as well as you do, um, so I, I can't really comment there. But what I generally look for is pretty standard, what I view as trend line, diagonal trends, and horizontal resistance and support levels. And when I see that, you know, matching with an RSI or a MACD that I think is showing something is getting really exhausted to one uh, side, that's when I start thinking, okay, like we're getting close to the top here for whatever this cycle might be. Um, and, and I just keep it pretty simple. Um, I, I don't get too into the weeds on TA. Mm -hmm. right, of course, that makes sense. And now you've mentioned a coin that you know we've talked about a few times before, and of course it's done uh, really, really well, I wanna say, since it hit the lows, so maybe 300, 400%, that is a thought chain, uh, Rune. Uh, you wrote a piece on Substack. Um, for those that are not familiar, just give us a quick overview. What is Rune and just what makes it so appealing? Okay, so Rune is one. There are a lot of projects that try to do um, cross-chain without a centralized mediator. Like, so when you want to swap BTC for ETH, you generally have to go to like a Coinbase or a Binance or something like that to do it inexpensively. That brings on third-party risk, obviously. So you've seen a lot of people try to build bridges uh, or cross-chain swap protocols. Thorchain is the latter. It's a, it's a cross-chain swap protocol. It's not really a bridge. What they do differently is they make essentially trading pairs to their native currency, Rune, R-U-N-E, with everything that they have uh, compatibility with. And so far, I think there are eight chains, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Litecoin, Binance, uh, Avalanche is in there, uh, and, a, and a few others. Dogecoin is actually one of them that's in there too for the, the meme coin traders. But what this does is it allows you to, without even having exposure to Rune as a currency, you can go into any wallet application or DeFi protocol that has Thorchain working uh, behind the scenes, and you can swap Doge for bitcoin or bitcoin for ethereum pretty inexpensively compared to you know if you were going to wrap this stuff like if you're going to trade wrapped bitcoin on ethereum for eth it's actually more expensive a lot of the time to do that trade than it would be to do bitcoin for ethereum directly through thorchain um so there's you know more to it than that i'm really oversimplifying it but 
people can inter, uh, can engage with ThorChain without even realizing it, and we've seen some of the evidence of that uh, on Twitter, which is really fun to watch because people <laughs> they uh, I've seen people are like ThorChain doesn't you know it doesn't fix anything. Look at what look at this app does exactly what ThorChain says it is, and it's like yeah that app is using ThorChain, you just don't realize it. Um, but it, it, it's fun seeing stuff like that because it kind of gives you some idea into. Um, you know, there's still there's still an edge here. People really don't get it yet, and and I think it's one of the one of the uh, protocols that we'll see probably do pretty well. Um, you know, five ten years from now. That's my hope at least. Cause I have a pretty big position. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason though. You know, if you like the idea of Thor Chain, then there's a reason why Rune going long Rune makes sense, or even providing liquidity in the protocol. I do both. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, there there are ways to benefit from the protocol being successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I fully agree. Obviously, I also uh, I've owned Rune for for some time, and like you, agree that you know definitely some very interesting applications there. Now, Rune, Solana, you know, more of the uh, the old guard, let's say, of altcoins. Any kind of new names do you think uh, could make uh, an appearance this this cycle? I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter, and obviously we've seen uh, big moves and stuff like Casper. Uh, Cass, I'm not sure if you're aware of that one. Any thoughts, for example, on that one particular? All right. So because I don't have the service anymore, I, I uh, sunset blockchain reaction earlier this year. Uh, Cass was, I think, the, either the last or the second to last top token idea that I had. And so that one has performed really well, too. Um, Cass, I have sold a little bit as well, uh, but I still do have uh, a position there. Cass, the the sell on that is that it's a proof of work fair launch coin, which is becoming more of a rare occurrence these days. But it has a different algorithmic approach to the blockchain security. Um, I cannot comment as well on the fundamentals of it as I would have been able to maybe six months ago. Um, it's still something that I think is exciting, but you know. Anytime you see something like that move as fast as it has, that's when you want to look at the fundamentals. And so one thing that I do is I look at how many people are using it, you know, is the daily active usage up, is the account growth up, like, you know, and with CAS, I don't necessarily see all that. So I I see more of a hype with CAS, even if the fundamental, you know, underlying technology of what that network is might be good, uh, the price may be getting ahead of itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no, it's a, definitely an interesting an interesting project out there. And I just wanted to have one more uh, altcoin because this is also one that I, I believe the first time I uh, saw it, um, saw someone write about it, it was you. And that is a render. Render, yeah. So render similar to Cass uh, in that it is maybe getting ahead of itself uh, from a price standpoint. Render started as a GPU network for like filmmakers, uh, people who maybe wanted to do, you know, if, if, you, if you've been in any kind of media space, you kind of understand what rendering video files can be like. It can, if you don't have the right technology, it can be kind of a pain. And so render was kind of like a cloud computing service for GPU rendering to allow people to, to render frames out faster. Uh, the token mechanism is supposed to work within that ecosystem. Um, I've liked render as a as a thesis as an idea. I don't know that um, 
it's working the way that maybe it's being, you know, the intention is. So in some of the more recent updates with, uh, you know, the frames that they've uh, rendered out, the amount of, you know, th there's a stable diffusion level of um, um, you can use stable diffusion in there, but it's it's really benefiting from an AI narrative trade but it didn't start as that. So when I see stuff like that, I get a little bit nervous. When I see maybe the usage of the actual network isn't as strong as the price makes it seem, I get a little nervous. So render is one that I've trimmed. I I think it's way ahead of itself. Um, similar to some of the other coins in the ecosystem, I don't know how much you actually need the render token, possibly, uh, if that makes sense. So... Can it be replaced by something else? Possibly yes. Um, I've liked render in the past. I'm less excited about it now. I guess is the best way I can explain that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because at the end of the day, it's one of those things where, like you say, you know, what, which of these coins can be replaced by others? And you know, it's it's like in any business, right? A lot of business yeah. can you know uh, be replaced. At the end of the day, you're you're looking at other things like how how is different or also even just uh, momentum. A lot of the time. A lot of the times, especially you know, in this um, this environment, it's about kind of like building that uh, momentum, right? And building those kinds of um, uh, economies of scale. Yeah, and when I look at render specifically, I just I wonder how necessary that token is. And you know, when you can do certain things with a token that you can't do with a, another token, that's when something is attractive. Like with Rune, for example. Um, render, I'm not seeing it quite as much. So yeah, AI trade, momentum, all that plays in. Um, that's all I'll say about that. All right. Well, speaking of things that might or might not be necessary, of course, with the altcoins coming back, um, what is your outlook for NFTs? You know, because of course I think, you know, people are going to start uh, looking at these and think, all right, it's time, time to a hundred X my investment in some of these, uh, He's a uh, JPEG rocks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. NFTs. I, I actually feel the same way that I felt about NFTs for probably the last two or three years. <laughs> the, the, you know, the pictures, uh, I'm bearish pictures. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit more bullish on, you know, domains on, uh, things that will allow you to, you know, do sign in, log in, uh, you know the avatars play a part in that, which is like what the pictures are. But you know, I th I think that things like uh, ENS is more interesting than like board apes, for example. Um, and then going with ENS, I, I also think that Unstoppable Domains is is a very interesting company that does polygon based domains. Um, so those types of things like payment routing, uh, web page building the thing that i like as a content creator that gets me really excited about the idea of web3 and nfts is you know i could build a website that then focuses that points to or i could i could have a domain a web3 domain that points to a website that i build so that means no more renting urls you could actually own something for once um so i like that idea you get potentially problems with collisions but you know, I think that when things like this get standardized, you'll you'll be able to eliminate that problem. So, 
I like NFTs just from a digital ownership standpoint. Um, uh, you know, but each individual NFT itself, I would, I would not expect to see highs reached again. And what's interesting about NFTs is if you look at certain uh, data uh, providers, like CryptoSlam is a good one that shows kind of like the NFT volume. Bitcoin is actually becoming a pretty big NFT chain, which is interesting. I think a lot of that is from ordinals and right. BRC20 stuff, but but that's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see because definitely, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time before a uh... You know, speculation becomes a uh, becomes rife against. Uh, you know, we'll definitely see some some interesting moves. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it a little bit, and even if it's just to, uh, in order to speculate a little bit at this point. Yeah, and look, there's nothing wrong with that. Like people speculate in art all the time, <laughs> you know. Like, and it's no different. I mean, it really isn't. If you are from uh, a digital, if you're digital minded first, then you know you can take some shots. Just don't throw any money at it that you can't afford to lose with you just like all other things right absolutely now i want to zoom out and look a little bit at the uh broader kind of crypto space because obviously we've had some very very interesting uh developments in recent days uh now of course on the one hand you know we have that you know uh, bitcoin and ethereum etfs all kind of pretty much at this point everyone's assuming it's a it's a done deal at the same time you know I believe at some point uh, last week, a few days ago, we had that, um, you know, obviously uh, the uh, CEO of Binance, CZ, uh, basically. Well, now I'm going to let you explain it because I'm not very on top of this right now, I'll be honest. So why don't you give us a quick background of what's happening exactly with CZ and Binance and just what, what are your thoughts? Uh, what's, what's happening here? So the DOJ and Binance settled on what was essentially the Binance, the Binance global exchange allowing us users to access the the platform and they had an a us based platform version that was supposed to be specifically for the us customer but that version didn't have all the functionality that the global version had and so the us market still wanted access to that other uh global platform and rather than you know cutting off that access, Binance pretty obviously was aware that US users were just using VPNs and getting access to the full version. Um, and in, it seems as though in some instances we're encouraging that. So this is obviously a problem. There was a years long investigation uh, from the DOJ, the US Department of Justice, and they reached a settlement. 4.3 billion is what Binance has to pay uh, for these you know, fa- wrongdoings uh, and as a result of this settlement as well, CZ is stepping down as CEO. He's an investor in the business too, but he can maintain his investment. He doesn't have to divest, but he's no longer running the show. Um, so, you know, what does that mean for Binance long term? If you look at their proof of reserves, I mean, they have a ton. They're the most liquidized or li- capitalized exchange in the entire market. They have plenty of cash. They can easily cover this <laughs> almost with their stablecoin reserves alone. Um, but you know, we'll see how it plays out. I I don't think that this is going to be bad for Binance. I don't think we're going to see like an FTX situation here. Um, I think that there, there will potentially be implications, you know, I don't know what the exact schedule is for how much time Binance has to pay this 4.3 billion. I, I think I read somewhere between 15 months and 
two to three years. But that is a, a you know a, a potential issue if they have to start selling stuff uh, into the market that mm-hmm. if there's no demand for it, we could have some price problems with certain assets. But it's uh, that's a situation where you know what I would advise people to do is pay attention to the proof of reserves. You can find it on Binance's website. You can find you know from Nansen. You can find it from CoinGlass. There's a p- bunch of areas where you can find this stuff. Um, what you don't want to see is you don't want to see these collateralization ratios collapse, uh, or God forbid, go less than a hundred percent. Cause then we would have real problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember looking, looking into the reserves, especially back in the time of the FTS collapse. And like you said, it's a completely different story in terms of, uh, those are the backing that they have. Now, the sentiment I've seen reflected on X is that, you know, basically they're getting rid of CZ and, you know, going to, Planting some kind of a some guy from the uh, from the world economic <laughs> basically just it's it's all a big overhaul of crypto basically. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that kind of idea? I mean, yeah, I think that there's very obviously animosity between the establishment and crypto at this point. Um, they're very clearly in fight us mode, which should have been very expected. Um, it's coming on all fronts, DOJ, SEC, uh, commodities exchange, like all of it. You know, the, the thing is, is yes, you can weed out, you know, bad actors in the central business environment. You can't really do anything about putting this genie back in the bottle mm-hmm. of, distributed decentralized digital currencies that can just be created like <laughs> you know like okay get rid of bitcoin if you ca- if you can find a way to get rid of bitcoin somehow which i don't know that you can uh without a quantum computer then okay cool then something else will just pop up right so whether or not you know you can get plants from sort of these globalist groups like the WEF and these you know, <laughs> these, I don't want to get too crazy here, but, you know, those types of things will happen and probably can happen. Uh, ultimately, it's just a speed bump, like, on what's coming, I think, that, and it could be wishful thinking, but I, I feel as though more and more people, especially younger people, are are wising up to how stacked against them certain things are and they're just not going to put up with it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. does that make you know what i mean mm-hmm. yes yes and we won't get too much into conspiracy theories we did have a whole podcast uh a few oh months. we've done that yeah absolutely to that anyone who uh, wants to check that out I'll, I'll put a link um but it seems like they're kind of caught between them and kind of a sword on the wall here in terms of i think you know to an extent obviously they would like bitcoin uh, not to exist. They obviously know they can't. Uh, they can't stop it. And at the same time, they kind of know that you know to an extent they need to uh, they need to get their hands on some because you know whether whether it's uh, China or some of the other countries you know will be will be using it. And at the end of the day, it's uh, it's going to be a useful tool. That's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. And you know, I have a lot of issues with certain aspects of Bitcoin. Um, obviously, but I don't think it's perfect like Maxis do. But it is wonderful. Like and wonderful can be good enough um and no single entity controls it it's completely global 
and so when you think about the uh, the motivation of each individual group, then you know someone is going to champion this and use it as an opportunity, use it as a tool to thwart whatever it is that they're against. And that could come from people that could come from countries that Americans don't think that they like, like, and that's too bad, (laughs) you know, because there's nothing they can do about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now we have, of course, all those, uh, Bitcoin theory ETFs, you know, getting ready to be, to be launched, of course, from an ownership perspective, and as we've covered before, obviously, you know, it's, it's important to keep ownership of your coins. Now, what we have seen those very interesting is, of course, you know, GBTC, for example, and uh, ETH kind of outperforming the underlying a- assets because, you know, closing down that discount. Yeah. My question now is, are we going to see a premium in your opinion? Because we have seen that before. So from a, like, out of trading perspective, is it still worth, for example, owning something like a uh, GBTC? Um, I, I like, I still like GBTC. I still like ETH. I like them a lot less when there is an ETF, a spot ETF. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they trade at a premium. I don't, I don't know why they would. Um, there's a lot of problems with ETH specifically, uh, the Grayscale ETH one, because it doesn't, it's not staked, you know, so it's not actively earning yield. Yeah. Um, now, if it and if you were going to stake that, you know, you would bring the yields down because it would be so much that would be coming in. But, you know, and John Miller, I think, for Seeking Alpha has done pretty good research on on that whole thing. But I, you know, I don't see grayscale funds ever per- going back to a premium. Mm. The, the least the the top ones, the ones that have a lot in assets under management. Like, you know, we obviously see the ridiculous stuff like Filecoin one and the Solana one. I uh, was trading at like 10 to one. Um, but those have like five or less million in assets under management. So when you have a bunch of unsophisticated investors who see, oh, cool, GSOL, that's Solana I can get in my brokerage account, like just piling in, that's that's silly and that's not sustainable. Right. Um, I think what you're going to see with, with those funds, even when they do convert, assuming they convert to ETFs is it'll be something more similar to what you see like in the Sprott uh, metal ETFs, which trade usually between two to 4% discounts. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And now the other element of the crypto space, which I haven't quite covered yet is uh, miners, which, you know, looking back a few days ago, I would have said they're kind of la- been lagging Bitcoin a little bit in the last few days though they, they really began to catch up. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the crypto miners? Do you see them now uh, beginning to catch up with uh, with Bitcoin as they begin uh, as we approach that halving? I don't like all the miners uh, by any stretch, but I do like a few of them. Um, and I think that having is the most expected event <laughs> that we've seen with the miners for the last I don't know twelve months. I know that every article about the miners that I've been writing for a, whole, a year at least has been the major risk is the having will reduce block reward by 50%. It's coming in April of 2024. Anyone who doesn't know this at this point isn't, isn't paying attention to these equities, which means if you don't re- like it, just, we have to be pricing priced it in at this point, in my opinion, it's gotta be, uh, if it's not, then we don't have 
uh, a forward-looking market, and I don't necessarily believe that yet. So I think the worst is probably over. I think that you know when you look at where Bitcoin is probably going to go within the next 18 months, does that mean that miners are more profitable today or more profitable in 18 months than they are today? Um, I think I, I want to lean yes, because I think that Bitcoin will be much higher. The block reward will obviously have been halved by then, but that net, I believe for, you know, the miners will, will work out. So yeah, there's, there's a couple of miners that I like a lot. There's some that I have that are really just trades. Um, but most of them I think are going to either get bought out or are going to have some serious issues when the economics of the having uh is is seen, you know. Yeah, we now mine as we've talked about before, you've mentioned a couple in previous uh, podcasts, Clean Spark, for example, uh being one. Uh, one that I saw you you wrote about back towards the end of August and that I've become a bit interested in recently is Iris Energy. Can you talk yeah. us a little bit about bit about that one? So Iris Energy has for its existence always sold production every month. Um which has been an interesting uh, approach. I think the only other miner that does that is Terra Wolf. Um but more recently Iris has also decided to get into the generative AI space. So, you know, they're they're basically focused on just building data centers. And part of that data center will be Bitcoin mining and part of it will be artificial intelligence related uh, GPU uh, products, you know, cloud-based products, I assume. So I think it's an interesting name. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of Iris as I was maybe a year ago. Um, I think that going forward... There's a lot of competition for the AI thing, a lot. Um, and, you know, you see it with Applied Digital, which is now having issues uh, mostly related to B. Riley. Um, you see it with Bit Digital, which is one that I actually do like. Uh, they're getting aggressive about AI. Uh, Hive, um, Hut8 is trying to do it. And, you know, there are a lot of these companies, particularly the ones that had exposure to Ethereum mining before the having or before the merge, excuse me. Um, a lot of them had the GPUs already, so it makes sense. Um, but you know, I, I think that the data center narrative is going to have a lot of competition. I think that if you're, if you're looking for a Bitcoin miner, a pure play Bitcoin miner, you only have like two or three that are worth your time and clean spark is definitely one of them mm -hmm. yeah absolutely now we've talked about bitcoin and yeah you've kind of mentioned that you expect the bitcoin price obviously as we approach the halving to uh increase now i wonder how you relate that kind of thesis with uh the broader market now i do remember in our last podcast uh you disclosed that you had a short position the time it was a little bit underwater, I remember you saying, I was just looking, you know, pretty much that, that podcast, by the time I posted it, it's, um, you know, your short position, if you held on to it, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what happened to that, uh, would have done pretty well, right? I think the market came down eventually to about that 4,000 4, level. Of course, now, obviously, we've had a massive rally. Uh, we're back towards those uh, year-to-day highs. So I'm wondering how you, um, and I think in general, yeah, I've seen you post about... Yep. Uh, 
the market kind of more bearishly. So how exactly do you see the market and Bitcoin performing in that way? And how do you see, I mean, do you see that kind of uh, dichotomy playing out? You know, it's interesting. I, we're kind of referencing correlation, Bitcoin's correlation to the broader market, like NASDAQ or, or the S&P. I think it's a great question. I really don't know. Um, I know that, so I did close my market short, which was expressed through SPXS at a very, very small profit. <laughs> I'm lucky that I got out when I did, to be honest. Um, I'm still expressing a short trade through the NVIDIA short ETF, NVD, uh, NVDS. That has <laughs> not gone well. Um, but I've been averaging that down, you know, uh, X shares a time, uh, for weeks. And, and that position is now only down, I think like 4%. So I have a lot of confidence that is going to, is going to do fine. Um, but the broad market is a, is a real head scratcher for me because it just kind of rallies on whatever narrative it needs to to rally you know and so i've complained uh bitched about the breath issue you know i have a lot of exposure to (laughs) uh i don't have a lot of exposure to the magnificent seven so for me this has been a painful uh thing to watch because i have a lot of stocks that are lower in the russell and you know i take shots on stuff that hasn't done well and you know, I, I look at it like, okay, so if you're going to tell me that the whole equity market is going to go up, then these things should be doing okay, and they're not. Why is that? Well, it's because it's only seven actual stocks that are doing well. But when they eventually roll, is that going to see the Russell then be the place where that capital flows? Probably. So that would likely mean that the market keeps going up. I'm not really sure. Um, I think that we're obviously starting to see uh, expectations for a cut in March. I don't. I haven't checked the CME probability in a few days, so I don't know where that is right now. But when I last looked, it was like twenty five percent chance of a cut in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say people want to remember the the rate cycle before twenty nineteen uh, cut, because in twenty nineteen when they started cutting, everything went up. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen again because I think the economy is in a different position. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the the thing that makes this so difficult to predict is that it's all going to be dependent on what about 10 people decide to do, you know, in the Federal Reserve Bank. And if they just decide, okay, we're not going to let it go down, then they'll put the spigot back on and You'll find a bottom and then it'll all go back up. That's what we've been trained to believe. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that where Bitcoin is different is that you have the having component. You have so many people who dollar cost average every every month, every week, whatever it is. And so I don't see, unless you have huge, huge uh, layoff scenario, I don't see, which is possible. Uh, I, I just, I feel like the people who dollar cost average are going to keep doing that. Um, and so if there's less of it to go around and all these hodlers are not selling at, you know, 50 or 60 or 70 K, 
less block reward. People still keep buying it. No one's selling at that price. It's going to go up. I, that's just how I see it playing out. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Like you said, we have some some precedent there. For example, uh, like you said in the previous halving cycle, when they cut, we also have, for example, I you know made the comparison with you know towards uh, 2007 when the Fed did pause and we did actually see that rally. I mean, from a macro perspective, you know, I do see a lot of um, you know a lot of factors that could push uh, risk assets high. You know, the dollar topping and perhaps rates also at the very least experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some kind of a pullback. I mean, you look at some charts, and you know, you can also correlate Bitcoin very strongly with you know what people call global liquidity, yep. of course, markets and Bitcoin. And there is an argument uh, to be made, you know, that global liquidity could begin to turn up. So, but I guess to me, it seems like you know it's hard to see one rallying without the other. I, I mean, I think you know, like, like we say, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. But at right. the same time, you know, if we did see a, a credit event like, you know, let's say COVID, I mean, we did see Bitcoin sell off there. So We did, yeah. Although, but it's also interesting, you know, then we have seen kind of the opposite happen, you know, with, you know, when, for example, the banks collapsed, we did see, for example, Bitcoin actually uh, perform quite well at that point. So, yeah, that could be perhaps a situation also where, you know, you get a liquidity event, but, you know, this time Bitcoin actually kind of well, emerges as the kind of a safety asset, right? And think back about what happened in Cyprus, you know, in 2012 or 2013, I think it was, you know, Bitcoin, that was Bitcoin's coming out party because there was a bank bail-in. And now imagine that happening on a global scale and not being limited to just like one jurisdiction. Like, (laughs) you know, I I think that, you know, what what I look at right now is I, I don't, I think equities will do fine. Like, you know, if this, if the liquidity is back, then equities will keep going. Will they do better than Bitcoin, even to a degree gold, like silver? I, I just don't know that I would I would agree with that at this mm-hmm. point. Especially with them, I mean, they're already trading at like, you know, what's the what's what's the average PE for the S and P? You know, it's like twenty five. What's the dividend yield of the S and P? Like one and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, debt to GDP ratio is ridiculous. I know that's not stocks; that's public debt, but I see, I see a lot of problems that I think will at least handicap uh, the equities to a larger degree than something like Bitcoin or even gold, which is, yeah, like a, a hedge on the whole system. Right, yeah. I think moving forward, you know, people might be surprised, but it seems like uh, crypto and Bitcoin might be, the, uh, might be the safe bet here, so to speak. I think so. Mm-hmm. But as far as you're concerned, NVIDIA is still fucked, right? <laughs> I'm not Gaia-ed, but yeah, NVIDIA is still fucked. Um, no, look, I, I I I have seen I've recently started following the stock twits feed for NVIDIA, and I'm just laughing because I see so much of what I saw, uh, you know, when I was on stock twits a lot more with companies that were shit that kept just going up. And I'm seeing a lot of the same hubris. And look, NVIDIA has had an amazing run and is doing wonderfully. Um, But they will have competition soon. We're already seeing problems with China. Mm -hmm. I mean, if 
you have if you like if your cost basis is under a hundred and you're not taking profit at five hundred in a company that doesn't have a moat in five years, what is wrong with you? Like, how much more do you want? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it's I think that they're fucked, but I've been wrong. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, I mean, at the very least, like you say, they're going to face. Uh, I think that the China problem is definitely, definitely uh, an overhead. And on the other hand, you know, whether you kind of uh, buy into that whole uh, core weave stuff that you know we exposed, and I for sure. So a few months ago, yeah. It, you look at the latest report, and they are—they do seem to be accumulating more and more uh, accounts payable. So, at the very least, that's also a risk, I would say. You know, especially if like you know the AI mania kind of dies down. There's eight billion there that you know there's a significant impairment loss potentially. That podcast that you're referencing is a great listen. I would say anyone should that hasn't should listen to that one. There's really good independent research being done on Twitter, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know. The, the people on YouTube who are bringing up the problems are not randos. Like these are smart people who are doing the work. They're doing the due diligence, and they shouldn't be ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Anyway, on to something you know, a little bit brighter and better. the The country that isn't fucked is Argentina. Yes. Just elected. Yeah, you know, I'm actually here in Buenos Aires. You know, I was here during the during the elections, uh, enjoying the commotion. Um, so they've just selected what I guess we could describe as the first ever libertarian president. I, it depends on how you you know define libertarian. I mean, I won't hide it from I view myself as that. Uh, I, I think that you know Malay's social libertarianism, I would question his his fiscal libertarianism is on point, <laughs> um, which makes for a very interesting uh, you know case study here. Uh, in Argentina, I would actually ask you, what's the vibe been like there? You're there. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I was here over the weekend when they were voting. Ironically, though, because it's a long weekend, it seems like a lot of people in Buenos Aires just leave. <laughs> yeah, they 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 go to the beach, so it wasn't actually very busy. I thought it was very interesting. They don't sell alcohol 48 hours ahead of the election. I don't know interesting. What's- or I'm not sure what the huh. purpose is. I don't know if it's like they don't want people to vote drunk. <laughs> I don't know. Too late. <laughs> I also think it's interesting. Well, I guess there's a few countries that do this, but you you are supposed it is supposed to be legally obliged to uh to vote in Argentina. I think. Oh, interesting. So you have to. Yeah, but it's definitely been um you know. Be careful what you wish for. Wish for then establishment. You might just get a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it's uh, interesting. You know, I think talking to um, from people, I think I I mentioned this in a in a post I I did on Substack where my um you know my Airbnb host kind of uh, talked about uh, Milay as the Trump of Argentina, and you know I do think that that sentiment is definitely kind of shared with a lot of, in terms mm-hmm. of kind of a bit crazy as the outsider. I mean I don't know if you've seen yeah. some crazy reports about uh, him I don't know cloning his dog and yeah. I think something like that. There was something like that. <laughs> uh, well, um, I I haven't looked into it, but you know I can see why the mainstream would uh would uh write a smear campaign. But anyway, oh, yeah, it's uh it's definitely interesting. I think the big difference is, of course, that you know Argentina over the last year, hundred forty percent inflation. I mean, 
it's just yeah. there's just no other choice for the people and you know even what do you do like yeah i mean you if you're in that position and you're dealing with the amount of ineptitude that you're dealing with and the inflation that you're in deal you're dealing with everyone gets to a point where they're just like okay the risk reward of just you know pushing the trigger on the on the bomb and blowing it up it just makes more sense to do that and it seems like argentina is there good for them um they've got a fighting chance for Malay, you know, I do understand the Trump comparisons. I think that politically speaking, he's actually very different. But from a disruption standpoint, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting to me that he's choosing to dollarize rather than doing something completely different. Uh, you know, like what El Salvador do, did with Bitcoin. I understand it politically. It's probably uh, something that you can't do. Uh, on the campaign trail, but maybe, you know, down the line, because the thing is, is okay. Dollarizing is great because it's the reserve currency and it's more stable than your own, but it also has a lot of problems. And, you know, it, you could just be putting these people through another hyperinflation soon. Um, which look, I'm not saying that the dollar is going to hyperinflate, but I'm not saying that it's a zero probability <laughs> that it could hyperinflate. Um, so, you know, what, what happens with, with that is actually, it, it might make sense politically too, because he's essentially saying central banks, it's an, it's a, it's not negotiable. They're gone. Like we're not doing it. And we're going to use this other currency that we can't fuck with. And, and if the dollar, if the people running the dollar fuck with it, then okay, we made a mistake, but you know, I'm not the one who messed up the currency at somebody else. And, and if that does happen, then, you know, maybe you do see them go El Salvador and, and start using things that are based on code and not man-made, you know, man-making decisions. So mm -hmm. I'm rooting for them. I, I can't wait to see how it goes. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's definitely very interesting. And like you said, I mean, from an ideological standpoint, it does seem like, well, you say, you know, you don't want the central bank, but you're just replacing it with a... With you just picked a different bank. central bank, right. Yep. Exactly. But, you know, again, from a practical sense, I do think that it makes a lot more sense to uh, to use the dollar, you know, even though it has its problems, you know, as as they say, you know, it's still the uh, the the, uh, the cleanest uh, shirt in the... Right. ...in the laundry, right? Right. Well, no, I mean, Bitcoin would definitely be a challenge. I don't know... How's it? How it's actually going in El Salvador these days? I'm having a look. It yeah, it depends on who you who you read. Um, you know, you'll have some who will say it's a resounding success, like the the Max Kaisers of the world, and then you'll have, you know, like the Vices and the New York Times will tell you how it's just this stink disaster. Um, and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, at the very least, it's uh, you know, it definitely shows a a shift in a. Thinking like I like I said, I have a lot of uh, some Argentinian friends, you know, who I wouldn't describe as libertarian at all. But it's interesting because my uh, my uh, Argentinian friends, I would say, are surprisingly more like, well, you know, what's the what's the choice, right? Let's let's get this guy and do something different. Whereas, right. people who know a bit less about it and maybe just uh, have a more superficial understanding, just like, oh, how could they, you know, pick this crazy extreme right wing guy, right? To yeah, I think that. When you're not in that situation, it, it can be difficult. And I think the reason why specifically, you know, here in the U.S., 
you know, it, it, Bitcoin is even a tough sell sometimes, uh, depending on, you know, your socioeconomic status or your, you know, maybe your generation plays into it as well. Um, but people can't fathom why you would need something like that when, you know, finance is just so easy and banking is just so easy. And, you know, what we have, I think, maybe everywhere, uh, people have just a, a difficult time putting themselves in someone else's shoes and seeing it from their perspective. Like, you know, I'm in America and have a ton of privilege as a result of that, especially financially, but I completely understand why someone who's dealing with 150% inflation would be like, fuck this, let's blow it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. duh, <laughs> yes, try something else. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's definitely very interesting. I guess I've been here for a few weeks. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if you know how it works here. You have the official exchange rate, which is uh, obviously pretty yeah. terrible. But then you go to the black market and basically it's 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 triple rate. rates. I will yeah. say it's quite interesting. I think for the last year now, if you use uh, credit cards, you actually do get a pretty similar rate to the actual black market one, which is pretty good but there aren't any obstacles really to uh to getting the exchange rate but i, I will say and this is i think something that i heard uh lid Alden talk about she was talking about being in egypt where there's also been a lot of uh, inflation but you know it is true that you look around and it isn't actually that bad at least you know from what i've seen in buenos aires you know i mean inflation happens but you know life life goes on in the end you know i think um the end of the day you know people have jobs and I don't, you know, life goes on. I mean, things could be better, but. You know. Well, when they get a taste of stability, I mean, you never know. Like, they may think, what were we doing waiting this long? And then you may see other countries that are waiting, not wait anymore. <laughs> you just never know. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Gold standard, Bitcoin standard, uh, we'll see. Casper standard. <laughs> a polygon standard <laughs> uh, just just not a Solana standard no Solana standard no we don't need that <laughs> alright well it's been great talking to you Mike as always uh, where can we send people uh, to find you on the internet uh, yeah it's always it's always a pleasure thanks again for having me on uh, you can go to my Substack. stack uh, you can just search for it it's Heretic Speculator is the name of the publication and the URL is Faybom, a college nickname, faybom.substack.com. So F-A-Y-B-O-M-B.substack.com. Uh, I generally post, I would say, two to four times per week. Um, and then there's a there's a paywalled service on top of it, which is going to look a little bit different next year. But, you know, you'll get portfolio access. You'll get exclusive content, full archive, um, typical stuff, 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks for a year pretty pretty cheap so just trying to help people figure you know understand these things the way that i do uh you know i'm not a financial professional i'm just a guy who's in my basement with a, a bunch of crap behind me who looks at charts and looks at white papers and all these things and just makes some bets <laughs> so you can go on that journey with me if you want Awesome. Well, absolutely. Highly recommend you guys check it out. You know, I can definitely say, at least for myself, I've extracted a lot of value from your ideas and definitely profited from some of them. So 
yeah, go ahead. Yourself's favor. Check it out. And thanks again for coming on. And hope we can do this again sometime. Anytime. Appreciate it, James. All right. Thanks, Mike.